I want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of 2 Kings. I'm not going to go there right now. I'm going to go there in just a minute. But this week, uh, for the next two weeks, I'm going to be speaking on I'm safe from what? A lot of people, you know, you go up to somebody and say, are you saved? And they say, safe from what? Safe from what? Some people have no clue and some people have never been taught anything that they're saved from. They haven't. Safe from hell? Safe from somebody? Safe from an enemy? There's something to say about us and what we ask people if they've been saved. A lot of people don't have a clue. So why do I need salvation? What is wrong with me? Why do I need something that, that you're mysteriously talking about? See, a lot of people go through life and they never have anything, anything explained to them about what talks to them about their, their, their eternal life. They just think it's all right now what we have and what we consume. So, so this is some things that we think we're, we're safe from. We're safe from the devil. We're safe from sickness. Safe from a way of thinking, the political power, an enemy, a relationship, hell, self, rituals, religion, poor decision-making, legalism, worldly ways, self-absorption. Has anybody ever asked you if you've been, if you've been saved? Does anybody? Did anybody not know what to say? Like they were dumbfounded with the question in the first place? Today I want to talk to you about something that is involved in every one of our lives. We have to guard our heart about the things, this thing that is involved in our life. And it's called sin. Sin is really small at first. It doesn't make a lot of waves. It doesn't do a whole lot of damage to us. But sin, if it's left long enough, it will develop into something that controls every aspect of your life. Every waking moment, every place you go, every person you have contact with, everybody you invite to your life has something to do with that particular sin that you're involved in. Save from sin. Save from something that is controlling your life, my life. I'm sure there's people in here that Things that people have said to them have offended them, and they've went in another direction, and they want anything to do anything to do with God, and and look for all, a lot of reasons for why we are the way we are. But what what this little sin does, it's like taking a, a little pill of some sort. You mysteriously take it. You think you're going to do better with this sin in your life, and before long, you've turned into a, some kind of a creepy monster. You've turned into something you never ever thought you could become. You turn into something everybody else has looked at. They look at you in amazement that you're so engulfed in this and you're so controlled by this. And it all started with just a little small sin involved in your life. You see, the things that we do and the things that we uh, participate in, it develops us and makes us what we become. It has become a monster. Now I find myself in bar rooms. Or in people's houses, I don't, I don't even know who they are. I used to hear guys at Teen Challenge when I worked there talking about drugs and things. And, and several of you, too, can relate. But, but one guy, I remember him vividly explaining uh, how desperate he was for something. He had no money. They were living off of nothing. They lived in abandoned houses. And he said, we would get in the floor. We, would, we were so desperate for, for the, I guess it was dope, uh, mar- uh, not, not marijuana, uh, uh, cocaine and, or meth or something. He said, we would get in a, in a carpet and look in a carpet and look for anything that's white or something. And we'd put it in our pop or, or whatever they'd done or spoon or whatever. All these little foreign objects. He said, but man, we were smoking uh, 
peel paint. We thought they might have meth and just, just out, of their, out of their minds. And they became so dependent on this one thing that they once thought was cool or once thought was acceptable. And they became something they never, ever should have come. Ever, ever, never, ever should have become. And some of you are here this morning and you think, well, I'm, I'm, that's me, man. I, I got sin in my life and there's things in my life. But I wouldn't let anybody know. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm not going to share this with anybody. I'm not going to go up front and, and be honest with God and ask him to come down here and fix me. See, we're all in the same boat. We're all, we all got sin. And the thing about sin is we're never content with what we have. Never content with what you have. You always want more. You got to have more of it, more of it, more of it. Just a, just a short, innocent look at that stuff that all the guys look at because it, because it is, look at because it has become a carnal craving and now you're addicted. You know those little text messages, messages that you send or that are sent to you, sent to you, and they're supposed to be funny. And there's things that, that people look at and they're enticed with. And it's real, really available now to everyone who has a cell phone. It's become such a, a problem in the church and a problem in America. We're controlled by this, this insatiable desire, this lustful desire. And it's something little on the inside, but it will become something bigger. And you'll become something that you never, ever thought about. You know that monster I talked about in the beginning? That's what you will become. No, it's not a substance, but it's something, a passion of your eyes. First, they were just little words. No harm done. A little bad word here, a little bad word there, a little corrupt communication out of your mouth. But before long, it starts setting into a pattern. And the longer you're caught up in these things that you say and you say these words that you say, and you may think, well, I'm a Christian. I don't, you know, nobody's perfect. Before long, you see yourself in a tyrant of rage and everything else, just proclaiming everything that is anti what you once stood for. You have morphed. You have morphed into something that you never thought could happen, and it's happened to you. He can save me from this. He can save me from anger. He can save me from jealousy, my vocabulary, my words, my lusts, my wrong desires, my cravings, the substance, pride, arrogance. You see, everybody has an issue. In 2 Kings chapter 5, we have an issue with a man by the name of Naaman. If you go there in verse 1 through 5, you see this element of Naaman. He was consumed by something uh, in his body. It wasn't necessarily a sin, but it was something small. And it became a spot on his hand or on his elbow or on his ear or on his leg or somewhere. It became a spot. And at first he didn't think much about it, but just like us in sin. We don't think a lot about it because it's small. But guess what happens when, when leprosy starts? It's a bacterial disease. I, I, I looked it up, and I can't remember the word. I probably couldn't say it anyway. But you had this spot on you, and, and you first see it. And you, have you ever had a spot on you and didn't know what it was, like a ringworm or a... Just kidding. I'm trying to lighten it a little bit in here because it's kind of heavy. This is a heavy message. It's heavy, and it's not fun to speak about. But, oh, it is so... So needed. So needed. 
And there was a man by the name of Naaman. I'm not going to read the scriptures. You may have it on the board. I don't know. But it's chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. And you find out that in his life, he, he was uh, over in Syria, and he was a military commander, and he was coming down with a sickness that had, it had grown. The, the sickness had grown, and maybe he started to lose a finger. Maybe he began to lose an ear from this, from this bacterial disease called leprosy. Whatever it was, it finally took to a stage that, that somebody noticed. And the little girl there, she was a Jewish girl. She was abducted and taken to that country. She saw him. She said, I know a man in my home country. If you went to him, you could be healed. So instantly it perked him up and he got excited. He went and told the king and king, king sent with him with all these supplies. I think. No. Oh, yeah, wait a minute. He, so he gathers up his stuff and he picks up and he goes. And, verse 8. Go down to verse 8, I believe it is. Oh, verse 5. The king of Aram said, uh, said, go ahead, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left and took with him about 750 pounds of silver. Let me ask you, how much is 750 pounds of silver? It's 750 pounds. He didn't take just two guys with him along on his journey. He took a whole military command. He probably had 100 fellows with him. With him, And they divided the spoils, and, and they all carried it. Then he had 150 pounds of gold. He had changes of clothes. He was ready to go and present everything that he could, and his king was ready to spend whatever it was to get this guy healed. I would have been excited. But when he got there, he wasn't so excited. He went to the king of Israel, and the king ripped his clothes and said, Who am I? I can't bring healing to you. And Elijah got word of it and said, Send him to me. So he goes and, and he goes to Elijah and all these guys go riding on the horses and all their equipment and all their, their, their chariots. It probably is what he was in. It's a fine chariot. He, he unloaded and all his gold, all his silver, all these things in his life. And he came to Elijah to present him with these great gifts to entice him to bring healing to his body. But Elijah didn't even go see him. Just Gehazi did. Elijah stayed in the back room and he said, just tell him to go to the Jordan and dip seven times. Naaman didn't like that idea. Naaman thought he would come out and perform some big ceremony or something. And many times, listen to me, many times we think God is the same way. He has to do something majestic and great in our life. So we supernaturally get experience something, you know, the little goosebumps in, on our hands and, and arms and legs and everything. We think that's God. God can move when there is nothing on the physical going on. You, if you're desperate and you want to see God move in your life, it isn't going to come because you see a spot and you, just, and you ignore it. Sad to say, but the way we are, we're, we don't really go to God very often until we're desperate. Until we're desperate. It wasn't difficult. He gave him a simple order. He said, if you want to be healed, go down to the Jordan River and dip seven times. And we can relate, we can relate to this. Because if someone said to us, go and dip in, this, in the Castor River seven times, we prefer maybe the upper caster, but the lower caster is what? Money, gross, it's thick. And that's all we'd have to do. But we step up and we get bad and we begin to pout. Say, I'm not going to stinking nasty Jordan River. I'm a, there's, there are beautiful rivers back home. Back where I'm from, there's a current river. It's clear. You see to the bottom. 
But the problem was not in the river. The problem was in Naaman's heart and his life. Because many times we have big problems and big sins and big things in our lives that we're addicted and that controls us. But we're unwilling to do the simplest thing. You see, what God was looking for in Naaman, he had a big lesson to learn. He was looking for him to respond in humility. He thought he could buy his way. And you may think you can buy your way into salvation. Behave, your actions carry a lot of weight. You think, if I act good enough and I behave good enough, something good will happen in my life. That's not the case. That's not the case. If God's speaking to your heart, he's wanting you to be humbled. You to humble yourself. Ask him for mercy. Ask him for grace, not because you deserve it or because you have money or you have something to offer in return. He doesn't want anything in return except your life. But for some reason, we continue to take care of that little sin and we just go on our way. First Kings, verse 11 to 14. Chapter 5. And Naaman became angry and left and said, I thought Elisha would surely come out before me and call the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over this place and heal and heal the disease. But Abana and Pafar, rivers of Damascus, are better than the waters of Israel. Why can't I wash in them and be clean? So Naaman went away very angry. And Naaman's servants came near and said to him, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? So what, doesn't it make more sense for you just to do it? After all, he only told you, wash and you will be clean. So Naaman went down and dipped into Jordan seven times, just as Elisha had said. Then his skin became new again, the skin of a child, and he was clean. What, was, what changed in his life then? See, before he'd done the act, he was arrogant and mad and frustrated and everything else. But something happened also. Something else happened to him that day in the river. He went down there and he dipped seven times. And, and I don't know if he took his, you know, his soap with him or what he took, but he went down there and every time, I've just said this before, he dipped the first, the second. And I'm, I'm sure he thought, this is so stupid. Everybody, all these men I brought are standing around me watching me dip in the river. Humiliating. You can either humble yourself or God will humble you. I don't care what is in your life and what is consuming you. You may be awful arrogant and really proud to come up and pray at an altar before a mighty God. And ask him to come into your life and forgive you of your sin and change you of this thing that's controlling your life. He met him with resistance and anger, about to head home without his healing. Elisha didn't even meet or speak to him, and that offended him. What he would, what he would, he could not receive because he was not honored. He forgot, he forgot he was seeking the healing. His anger overcame him, and the voice of reason came to, from his servants, from the servant girl at home, and now these servants he had there began to speak a little bit of common sense to him. What was the purpose? What was the process that Naaman went through to receive his healing? He had tried to come to God on his own. He didn't, he didn't like the way that Elisha dealt with him. Then, didn't, then did not like the method that God had chosen 
and the seven times of cleansing. You know, I'm not going to tell you that it's not painful to get some things under the blood and get some things under control. Repent of your sin and mess some stuff in your life. I'm not going to tell you it's going to be comfortable. It's going to be fun. But it's amazing what happens when you finally get to a place and you're broken before the Lord. You're as excited when you begin to break. You're great with it. It's not a problem, is it, Brother Jaco? He told me a few weeks ago when he gave his heart to the Lord, when Greg Hubbard was here that morning, about getting in the boat. I'm going. My family's going. So get in the boat. You plan on going? I get in the boat. And that morning he came up and he gave his heart to the Lord. He didn't know. And I said something to Jason Sanders. I'll never forget it about uh, hopelessness. And Jason said, some people don't know that they're hopeless. They don't realize that they're hopeless. And some of us sometimes in our sin and the stuff in our life that controls us and makes us so miserable are really, it's really hopelessness. But it's something amazing. And I'm going to say this. It was great to watch what took place in Jason Sandage's life. It was great to watch him change and, and something God shook him. God, for some reason, however, he got a hold of his life. He spoke to him. Then Brother Jaco, he comes up here. I always talk to him about his car. He has a Chevy Cavalier. No, just kidding. He has, he has a, uh, it's a Ford. I'll, I'll leave it alone. He has a Ford Pinto, and it's, it's older, and he's, he's done all kinds of modifications. It's really fast and all these things. And that was always our element of, of, of we talked about, because I like them. I can't afford them, but I like them. And he said yesterday at the, over Dexter, I know it's about time to go, y'all. He said, you know, I asked him if he got his parts in for his car or whatever. He goes, oh, no, they're not here yet or they're here or whatever. He goes, but no, I've realized something. Man, when Jesus came into my life, he changed everything in my life. He didn't just, and I don't know if he had a problem with any of these things we talked about, but he didn't just forgive him and heal him of a sickness, physical sickness, but he healed him of a spiritual sickness, of not knowing or whatever was taking place. And he said for the first time in his life, he just enjoys life. He said he enjoys his family, enjoys his wife. And just everything in his life is different. He didn't understand it. It just happened. That's amazing. But that is exactly what God was looking for in Naaman in the very beginning. He was dealing with him in his life because he had a spot. But when he lost an ear, we'll say, that's when it really got his attention. He was looking for an answer. And many of you may be looking for an answer for the problem that you have in your life. The thing that you're addicted to, the thing that is controlling you. Come back, if you would come back and play. I know you're exhausted and you're tired, but just, just for a couple minutes, I want you to sing that third song. That, I don't know what it's called. I never know what the name of the songs are. Is the third one before? It doesn't matter. You'll, you'll figure it out. In Romans chapter 6, I'm going to close with Romans chapter 6, and you can go there if you like. I'm telling you, man, when I was a little kid, I was at the altar a lot. Not all, don't get resaved, but man, just getting some things under control and convicting about maybe something I'd said or something I'd done and getting some things covered and but, but most, listen up. The most important thing is coming up with a right attitude and what you think 
coming up with the right attitude. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm remorseful. I'm sorry. Lord, cleanse this thing in my life. It's so frustrating to me. It's besetting sin in Romans chapter 7. It talks about the thing that I wouldn't do that I do. And that which I wouldn't do that I do. It doesn't make any sense, but it, it just drives me crazy. And so I was at the altar a lot. As I got older, I, I learned to graduate from certain things. The things that bothered me as much. And, and I had more authority over them in my life. And, and things weren't controlling me like, that, like they once were. But guess what? You may feel guilty. You know, I want anybody see me going to the altar. Why do you? That's the reason they're up here. They're just not for somebody else. They're for you too. In Romans chapter 6. Verse 12, it says, so do not let sin control your life here on earth so that you are sinful, so you do what your sinful self wants. There's something about the sinful self, the sinful self. We all have it. We all have. Every one of us have a sinful self. Don't offer your body, your parts of your body to serve as sin. As things to be used and doing evil, instead offer yourselves to God as people who have died and now live. And I thought, man, Brother Jacob didn't know what he was talking to me about yesterday, but he implied so much in the scripture. He died to himself at an altar. And it's amazing. He, he's learned how to live in a way he never had known before. And I remember too. It happened to me too. I was eight years old and, and, and I had a horrible life until I was eight years old. I robbed a couple of banks, and it was just terrible. But I still knew major right from wrong. And there, even though my life hadn't experienced a lot of things, there's a corruptness, there's a corruptness without Jesus. Man, it's amazing what God can do when you give it all to Him. You may have been to the altar 30 times. It doesn't matter. This morning... If you're tired of being controlled, just dim the lights a little if you don't mind. If you're tired of being controlled by things that always seem to weigh you down. The last part of this is this. Offer the parts of your body to God to be used in doing good. Sin will not be your master. Sin will not be your master because you don't live under the law. You live under grace. That's why I could come to the altar about, about 20 or 30 times from my young age to my teenage years. I had to get things right. I had to repent. I remember in college there were some things that there were, I'd be in worship and they were just singing a, a song going Friday nights with my wife and, and we weren't married yet. And, and one old song, I, I remember what it was, it just get, began to break me when I thought about how unworthy I am. And how worthy he is. And what he wants to do in my life. The same thing goes for you here this morning. This is an altar call. If there's things that keep provoking you. It keep drawing you. It keep destroying you. And keep destroying your confidence. Man, give it to the Jesus this morning. Give it to him. You cannot fix everything on your own. But with his help, it's amazing what you can accomplish. I don't think in my life. I don't think my life would have been anything like this if I didn't give my heart to the Lord at a young age. And I don't think Brother Jacob's life will ever be the same since he gave his life to the Lord. 
There's a new direction. There's new plans. There's new purposes. Things he never thought that God would use him in, he'll use them. Same way in your life. If you're here, there's things that's driving you crazy. Maybe you get mad at yourself and frustrated with yourself. God is not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. He will change your heart. He, for, he will forgive all, all of the hang-ups. He will set your greatest experience before you. And the adventures of your life will just begin. Does it mean everything's perfect? No way. But at least you have some direction in an imperfect life and an imperfect world. Because you are imperfect. And I'm asking you now. We've all got problems. We've all had failures. But you need to be set free from that little spot, that little sin right here. It's growing over a period of time. If you don't get it under control, friend, it'll destroy you and it'll take you places you never dreamed. You'll become something you never thought was possible simply because you were too proud to let God speak to your heart.